Yeah, as Cody mentioned, my name is Regent Erickson. I'm a leader here at Quorumdale College, and I just love this time that we get to come together, do worship, be in the Word, and then just go have fun. Just spend a couple hours every Thursday together as college-aged people. And tonight we're going to continue doing that, and we're going to continue doing that in the, in the story of David. So where we're at, uh, we've learned about David's anointing as king, but before that we learned about Saul. Uh, he came, he rose, he was king of Israel, made some poor decisions, got rejected uh, by the Lord, and that's what led to David's anointing. And that's important for us to remember tonight because we're going to be talking about David fleeing Saul in the wilderness. And David's fleeing Saul because he's jealous of David and is trying to take his life. So this topic covers a very large section of scripture. Uh, we are overviewing First uh, Samuel chapter 19 all the way into chapter 30. Um, most of David's active fleeing from Saul goes up until chapter 27, um, but it's not until chapter 31 that we learn of Saul's death. And so it's not, it's not until then that David actually escapes just the opportunities that uh, Saul has to take his life and is fleeing him throughout that time. So there's a lot in many ways, we could have like spent this whole semester just in the, the time that David flees Saul, just seeing what, what we learn from the life of David. I mean, he's with the Philistines. There's good decisions. There's bad decisions. Lots of stuff. David's on the run. He's fleeing for his life. And all of this is centered around patience and trust. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So we're not going to dive into all this text, but my goal is to show you a brief, high-level overview just about the season of life that David was in, the patience he had in the Lord's timing, and the trust he had in the Lord to establish his kingdom despite Saul chasing him. But to see that, we're going to dive into some specifics of how that plays out in David's life in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 15. So if you could turn there to 1 Samuel 24, I'm going to meet you there in a few minutes. So David's fleeing Saul. How he gets there is just after the story of David and Goliath, where David defeats the Philistines, gains fame, his success continues to grow, and so David is brought into the house of Saul to play the harp for him. But since David is successful, Saul grows jealous, and it gets to the point where he tries to kill David while he's playing the harp for him, and it thrusts David into a season of fleeing. That starts in chapter 19. So with that, this map's going to come up on the screen. And this is going to be the uh, image of the land that David fled around. And we're going to be able to see the places, or at least where the scholars think the places were, uh, that he went on his travels. And before we go through some of these, I just want to make sure the stage is set clearly. Saul is the current king of Israel. He has been rejected by the Lord, and he's not going to remain king forever, and his family line will not carry the kingdom on. The Lord has told him that. And on the other hand, we have David. He has been anointed king by God. He's going to be the next king. God has told him that. But he's not king yet. Saul still is. But with that, David's been successful, which means Saul is jealous. And Saul's also desperate. Because at this point in time, he's not just lost the support of the Lord. He's also lost the support of his family. Within chapters 19 and 20, we see Michael, Saul's daughter, join David in marriage. And then we also see Jonathan, his son, uh, form a deep friendship with David, that they bond through a covenant, and it gets renewed continually throughout this story. 
which is Jonathan throwing clear support to David, even though Jonathan was supposed to be the one that would inherit the kingdom after Saul. So the Lord's rejected Saul, his family's supporting David, and he's desperate to take the life of David and protect his, his kingdom. That's David's situation. So he flees. In almost every one of these locations on this map, David is forced to flee from it because Saul is pursuing him. And so he starts out, he's up in Gibeah, Ramah, goes back to Gibeah. He's meeting with Samuel. It's up in here that he establishes his covenants with Jonathan and reestablishes them. He goes and uh, gets some help from some priests at Nob. That's a crazy story. They end up getting killed because they helped David by Saul. And then next, he moves down, spends some time in a cave. He goes from Gath on over, and um, he gets some people that join him. Then he goes over to Mizpah. This is a really long journey where he leaves his parents with the kings, with a king there in Mizpah, um, goes all the way around the Dead Sea, and then comes back to a place that's called the Stronghold. We're not sure really exactly where or what this was, but David spends some time there. And then after that, he moves into the wilderness, and he spends a lot of time like in really close quarters with Saul, about gets caught a couple times. Um, and at one point, eventually, the people in Kailah uh, are getting attacked by the Philistines. Ironically, David's the one who saves them, not Saul. But by doing so, he exposes himself to Saul. Saul closes in, and David uh, only makes it out because the Philistines attack again, and this time Saul goes which is not a coincidence. The Lord did that to save David. And after that, he goes to En Gedi. That's where we're going to be. That's where 1 Samuel 24 takes place. Uh, he's in a cave. And he spares the life of Saul. And then Saul leaves. They go around a bit and end up again in the wilderness of Paran. And again, David has a chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't. After that, he ends up going to Gath, spends the rest of his time with the Philistines. But that's a lot. Like just imagine living that, going through all of that journey and your life constantly at threat. I mean, based upon very approximate measures, David probably traveled around 270 miles throughout this time. That's about the distance of walking from here to Des Moines and back. And David would have walked it. That would not have been easy. And But we, we also don't get a lot of the emotional state of David in 1 Samuel throughout this time, but he writes lots of psalms, and he writes psalms during this time that he's fleeing Saul. Psalm 57 has this line, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Or Psalm 52, which says, your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, speaking of his enemies there. And then in Psalm 18, just listen to this imagery he's using. He's saying, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David's situation's dire. His life's literally at stake. Like, it's literally at stake here. And yet he's anointed to be king. So that kind of begs the question, why, when he had two explicit opportunities to kill Saul, did he not? It's not going to be on the screen, but the very next words in Psalm 18 are this. David says that, in my distress, 
I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. It kind of made sense for David to kill Saul. It would establish his kingdom. But why didn't he? It's because he had patience and he had trust in the Lord, just like we should. That's our first point for today, to have patience and trust in the Lord. While fleeing Saul, even though David didn't do it perfectly, David has patience and he has trust in the Lord despite Saul seeking his life. He trusted God that he was going to be king. So you should also do that. Our culture is flooded by this instant gratification. Like, seriously, like if Amazon doesn't have the item on two-day shipping, you just don't buy it. And there's been times when I, I've seen the one-day shipping and I've gotten a lesser item, so I didn't have to wait the extra day to get the item. And those are just minor things. Every single one of us in this room is going to face a season of waiting. You're either in it right now, you're going to be in it. It's just the reality of life. And those seasons aren't easy. Maybe you're ready to graduate. You're ready to get a job and start your life. Or maybe you really want a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Maybe you have a job and it's not where you want to be. There's a promotion. There's, there's, you have goals in your career. Or maybe you're not even in the career you want to be in. Sometimes the people we love get sick, and you have to wait. In every one of these situations, you have to wait, not knowing exactly what it's going to look like. And in every single one of these scenarios, you're in that situation where you have to wait, and each day something new comes. Fear, worry, anxiety, stress. It's not easy. But as Christians, despite all that, we can have patience and trust in the Lord, through these hard seasons, and we should. So let's dive into how we do that. What does that look like? In 1 Samuel 24, we're going to start reading. Verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Let's stop there real quick. This gives us an idea of where we are. Saul has returned from fighting the Philistines and is now back on the hunt of David. He has brought 3,000 men, which is an overwhelming quantity of men. David had about 600 men with him at that time. En Gedi, from the map, is near the Dead Sea, and around there is this place called Wild Goat's Rocks. Apparently there's caves. And David is most likely, just to be clear, most likely not in there with all 600 of his men, but he's at least in there with some of them. And Saul, remember, he's searching out David to take his life, but he has to do what we all do. He needs to go to the bathroom. So Saul, in choosing this cave, he walks off on his own because who wants a crowd and is in the very cave David is hiding out in. Remember, Saul's here to kill David. Saul is at his weakest. None of his men are around, and he doesn't know David is there. Saul's distracted. Like, talk about a perfect scenario for David. His men notice this as well. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, 
I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David didn't kill Saul here. Instead, he had the patience and trust in the Lord not to because he knew the word of God. And that's how we have patience and trust in the Lord, by knowing the word of God. Let me explain how this works, where we get that out of here. And that starts with making a very clear distinction. Circumstances do not equal the word of God. So that means good circumstances and bad circumstances don't establish the word of God. David shows us here how he knows the word of God in two ways. One, he knew that Saul was the anointed king by God. And then second, he remembers some commands of the Lord not to disrespect his rulers, let alone murder them. This is starkly different than what David's men wanted to do. They saw Saul back-turned, vulnerable, right there. They've been fleeing with David, and they know he's the anointed king. This must mean, this scenario, this circumstance must mean the Lord gave Saul into our hands. Let's kill him. But the next thing we see following their statement to David is we see David crawl to Saul and cut off a corner of his robe. And what happens? His heart struck him. David was convicted. That's what that means. And it was immediately. Saul hadn't even left the cave, and David's back with his men, persuading them not to kill Saul. David's heart, and your heart, it's the center of your being. The deep things, the good, the bad, that only you and the Lord know, that's what struck him. That's his heart, and he was convicted in it. For cutting off the corner of Saul's robe. Why? Like, it's just a robe, right? Shouldn't David instead be feeling merciful that he let Saul live? The robe that Saul would have been wearing was the royal robe. It was a symbol of authority and actually would have been made in accordance with the Torah, uh, which is the word of God given to Moses. Uh, By cutting off the corner of this robe, what David did was removed its ability to comply with the the rules of the Torah. And by doing that, he symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to kingship. But here's the amazing thing. David's anointed to be king. He holds on to that, but at the same time recognizes that Saul is anointed to be king. And so that's convicting to him that even by symbolically disrespecting his king. We see this documented in in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. That's where... Samuel anoints Saul as king. So David knew that Saul was the anointed king, and that means he was his ruler. And so that moves into the second way we see David show us that he knows the word of God. He's most likely remembering here in this situation, Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. What it says is, you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. 
So David knew that so well, and he took that to heart so well that even cutting off the corner of the robe of Saul and symbolically disrespecting his king caused him to be deeply convicted of what he had done. Even though in that scenario, it makes sense in many ways to kill Saul. David could then be king. That's what the Lord had said was going to be. But he knew the word of God instead, and thus had the patience and the trust in the Lord to know that the Lord would work out his promises and that David didn't have to disobey the commands of the Lord to make that happen. Instead, he could trust the Lord. So that's how we see David have patience and trust in the Lord by knowing the word of God. He didn't kill Saul and repented even when he acted disrespectfully. The contrast to that is the men of David around him. They wanted him to kill Saul, and they claimed it was from God. But based on what we just discussed, I don't think that's true. I don't, one reason being is that it's not documented anywhere else in Scripture. Notice here that they aren't, it's not a command from the Lord. It's what the men are saying the Lord has said. And nowhere else in Scripture is that documented. But with that, it is entirely possible that the Lord did say this to David and it wasn't recorded in Scripture. Even so, even if that's true, we can be confident that this isn't how God intended that to be applied. Just because it appeared one way in the circumstance, that didn't mean that they should take Saul's life. Instead, David clearly knew from Scripture that he could not take Saul's life. That's murder. Now, as far as I know, no one in this room is anointed to be king or queen. And I sure hope no one is chasing you to take your life. If so, please call the police. But we can still think about this in the context of our lives. It's actually a very easy application that's really hard to live out. I'm going to sum it up with a couple questions. Do you know the word of God? I don't mean like know of, but know the word of God. Do you read it? Do you memorize it? Because I can guarantee you this. If you only read or hear the word of God on Thursdays and or Sundays, you don't know the word of God. We're going to be plumbing it for the, plumbing its depths for eternity. There's no way you can tell me that by getting it a couple times a week, you know the word of God. And just to be clear, some of you can answer the Bible questions. You can answer the Christianese questions. You can sound like you do. But if you put yourself in a situation like David's in here, or maybe some of those examples we talked about, you're going to forget. Knowing the word of God means you weave its truths into the fabric of who you are. You use it to understand your circumstances, not using your circumstances to understand the word. That's backwards. You see, I'm not a doctor person. Some of you are aware of this, and I'm very thankful for those of you out there who are in the medical space or things like that. If you have a story that's gruesome, I don't want to hear it. I will legitimately pass out. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It's just not my thing. A couple years ago, I just had this fluke thing happen at church. I nearly passed out. I didn't know why. Um, and then we went home, and then all of a sudden my watch just started saying I had a low heart rate. Didn't know what was going on. I don't know anything about that stuff. So we go to the doctor. They take a look at my heart, and they say, everything's fine. Just keep an eye on it. 
all of a sudden, I'm thrust into a season of waiting. I don't know what's going on. I'm asking these questions. Is my heart going to fail on me? Am I making this worse in my head? Because I don't know what's going on. And it got to the point where going to church, I would get super nervous because that's where it happened. And I had convinced myself that it's going to happen again. I was just waiting for it to happen again. And I was legitimately spiraling. There's one reason that I can stand here today and say that's not true of me anymore. It's Psalm 56, verses 3 to 4. And it's actually really fitting because David wrote it. It says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I had to repeat that over and over. What can flesh do to me? Do to me. In God, I trust. And here's the thing. Not once did that speed up the time of waiting. But it reminded me who God is. It forced me to answer the question, what could flesh do to me? It's nothing. The Lord has control. I just need to put my trust and my patience in him, waiting to see what the doctors learned about my body. And that's the only way I could trust the Lord through it. So we need to have patience and we need to have trust in the Lord by knowing the word of God. Let's see what happens next. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called out after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, This day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt to take my life or hunt my life to take it. David takes the word of God that he knows, and he stands firm in it. That's the final point for today, to stand firm in the word of God. You see, after Saul leaves, David then steps out and confronts Saul. This quote, actually, that we're in right now of David is the longest uninterrupted quote in Samuel. That means, and that indicates that it's probably thematically central to the book of Samuel. This is a key point. This is a big statement by David. And it starts out by confronting Saul, saying that I have respected you as my anointed king. I have not taken your life. Look, I was close enough to touch you. I could have done it. He's showing Saul that he's innocent, saying I did not do this confronting him with it and acknowledging him as the anointed king. But then what comes next shows even more clearly how David stood firm in God's word. So let's keep reading. Verse 12, he says, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Notice that. Calls judgment on the Lord, but it repeats that his hand is not going to be against Saul. Verse 13, As the proverb of the ancient says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? 
May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. This section might feel a little bit weird. David uses some poetry here. It's kind of hard to see since this is Hebrew poetry translated into English. It's sandwiched here in between two similar verses. So let's kind of unpack this. In verse 12 and 15, David makes similar verses calling on judgment from the Lord. Then in verses 13 and 14, he kind of adds some weight to those statements. So we're going to start there. In verse 13, David quotes an old proverb saying, The wicked produce wickedness, and I have not acted wickedly. What he's saying is, I'm innocent. That's his claim. There's people that have said that David's out to seek his life, and he's like, No, I haven't. I could have. And then he moves into verse 14, and that's where the poetry comes in. This is a rhetorical question to Saul, and it's intended to be an exaggeration, a hyperbole. He's saying, what are you doing? Who are you coming after? A dog? A flea? He's liking him, likening himself to a dog and a flea because he's an innocent man, and Saul has 3,000 men with him. That's a ton of money, a ton of resources that could be used to further the kingdom in other ways, and Saul is throwing it and wasting it on David, an innocent man. And why that matters is in verses 12 and 15, because David is actually giving Saul a warning here. Because David is innocent, he's calling on the Lord to judge, and he's drawing from scriptures like Exodus 23, verse 7, to know that this is true. Because it says this, Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. This is the Lord speaking there. The Lord's not going to acquit the wicked. David knows that the Lord will judge those who harm the innocent, and he's standing firm in that. He's confronting Saul with it. And that's the key point here. Patience and trust doesn't just mean we turn our back and sit idle. We don't do nothing. But rather, I love this definition of patience that I found in a commentary. It called, it, it, the definition it gives for patience is this. Attentive readiness. We're ready to make a move. We are watching and we are waiting to see how the Lord is working around us. And we don't take circumstances to mean action, but what we do is we make those circumstances firmly reside within the word of God. So what that means here for David is that he couldn't kill Saul. That'd be murder. That's clear. But that didn't mean David should sit back. Instead, he firmly holds to the truth of the word to call out Saul for his ridiculousness and his sin. So that begs the question, are you attentively ready? Are you being patient? Let's say you're in a season of waiting. You're waiting for that job, a promotion, a spouse, whatever it is. Are you serving here at Coram Deo or at your home church? Are you involved? That's a great way to be attentive and ready. You get to see the, work, the Lord working around you. And every, almost every one of you at this age, you have dispensable time to serve the Lord with. Are you using it to serve the body of Christ? Are you making the name of Christ known among those around you? Or do you instead cower at school or at work, hiding your Christianity? That doesn't sound very firm. I'm speaking to myself there. But what if instead, what if Christian or not, they saw how much we love Jesus, even if we're waiting, even when we're waiting through those hard times? Let your patience 
and your trust be seen by how attentively ready you wait on the Lord, growing in knowing the word and standing firm in it throughout it all. Because you see, here's the thing. David wasn't perfect. You would find, you find mistakes in the story of scripture by David, some big ones. He did have patience and he had trust in the Lord by knowing the word of God and standing for a minute, but he made mistakes. You will. I have and I'm going to. And while we've made mistakes, there's a man who didn't. Jesus was patient for 30 years, waiting until the time was right to kick off the events we see documented in the Gospels. Jesus patiently taught and discipled the disciples so that they'd be ready when he leave, when he left. Jesus trusted the Lord despite knowing he'd be tortured, be killed, and bear the penalty for our sins. And guess what? Before any of this happened, Jesus had been anointed king. He was in the line of David. And at any point, he could have called down angels from heaven and established his kingdom right there. But no. Instead, Jesus had patience and he had trust in the Father to bring about what the Lord spoke of throughout all of the Old Testament. And now we have an opportunity to come and join him in his kingdom because of his patience and trust through faith and repentance. So if there's anything I can leave you with, it's just to have patience and trust like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word, the truths of it. Lord, that by knowing your word, we can have patience and we can have trust and we can stand firm and it's good. And I just ask that it just resides heavily on our hearts and it just weave it through the fabric of um, the people around us to make your name known through the word. I just love the language that David uses in verse, or chapter 18 of Psalms when he says, you're my strength, you are my rock, my deliverer, my stronghold, my refuge, the shield and the horn of his salvation. I just pray that that will hold fast in our hearts and we'll just have patience and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.